Recovering Salmon here in Wacom and Skagit County and in Washington State and beyond around the Pacific Northwest. We know that salmon populations continue to struggle and it's a heartbreaking thing to see. Welcome back to The Farming Show. Dylan Honkoop with you here on KGMI. Glad you're with us. Well, you know, so if, if this is The Farming Show, why are we talking about salmon? Well, I think it's become so clear to so many people in, in recent decades that, you know, what what's happening with farming um, and what's happening with salmon, what's happening with our watersheds, our streams, land use, all of these things, urban areas as well, tire dust, all of these things are connected. And there are issues even beyond our, our land use here, our streams here, what's happening out in the ocean, what's happening way far away as we understand the life cycle of, of salmon taking them on huge, long, incredible journeys through. There's all kinds of stuff that's happening to these populations as we see their numbers continue to, to dwindle. And, and, and our community continues to come together more and more around the idea of we need to recover these species. They're important on a variety of levels, um, uh, one of which is food as well. And, and in the farming community, we know about food. And certainly our local tribal communities, it's about food, it's about culture, history, uh, spirituality even, um, and, and the, the commercial fishing community, it's about food and families and, and producing food and managing the land and water and our resources. We're recognizing how this is all connected. So this is so important. And, you know, the farming community here locally has been more and more involved in, hey, let's, let's restore our streams. Let's build buffers. Let's um, build other habitat projects. What can we do with floodgates? You know, there's work that's happening and the more that can be done, but there's also a recognition that there's more to the story here. And this is, so this is something that we've talked about before here on the farming show. Um, this issue of seals and sea lions and other as they're technically called pinnipeds in, uh, and it's, I think it's, it's more often nearshore waters than an issue way out in, on the high seas. There are other issues on these populations there as well, but this issue of, of pinnipeds and the term here is predation, them eating the salmon that we're trying to recover. What is the balance here? And, and, and what is this part of the story? Joining us right now is Daniel Schindler. He's a professor at the University of Washington School of Aquatic and Fishery Sciences. He's also uh, the chair of a study on this issue with the Washington State Academy of Sciences. Welcome to the program. Uh, Professor Schindler, and and thank you for being here. Talk about what you guys were looking into, and of course we want to get into what you have found so far in looking at this part of what can we do to recover salmon. Yeah, good morning, and uh, thanks for the invite, uh, Dylan. Um, yeah, this uh, report we just uh, published was one that was requested by the Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife um, to the Washington State Academy of Sciences to basically synthesize what we know with regards to the science of pinniped predation on salmon in Washington state waters. And uh, there's been a lot of uh, science done on this topic. There's a lot of anecdotal uh, observations from users of the salmon resource and people who care mm -hmm. about marine mammals. Mm -hmm. um, so we had like quite a ball of uh, 
of information and data to to synthesize as part of this report. Well, and also it's become a social and political talking point for some as well. Like, oh, just deal with the seals and that'll solve the problem. I think, you know, I'm going to acknowledge and I'm assuming that you would agree, you know, if we're talking about protecting salmon, protecting our aquatic resources, uh, environments, whatever, there is no one thing. <laughs> and and it, it frustrates me. I've said this many times on this program as well. It frustrates me when people try to present, okay, here's this one thing. And if we just do this one thing, it will solve all our problems. That's not true here. And I just want to acknowledge that from the get-go that what we're talking about here isn't the silver bullet. Am I correct in saying that? Absolutely. There are no silver bullets with respect to salmon recovery in Washington. And uh, the reality is, you know, the pressures on salmon really are quite variable from place to place and year to year and even decade to decade. And, uh, you know, any issue with respect to pinnipeds as predators um, is part of this more complex story about the salmon ecosystem. So I guess a place to start with this, you, you were looking, again, asked by uh, WDFW to study this uh, via the Washington State Academy of Sciences, where you chaired this, this study, which technically for folks who want to look it up, it's the pinniped predation on salmonids in the Washington portions of the Salish Sea and Outer Coast. What did you find? I think there's even been a question of, is this idea of seals and sea lions and, and, and pinnipeds eating salmon, is this something that's actually making a dent? Is this a real problem? Some people say, again, say this is the whole problem. I, I don't agree with that. Uh, but certainly some have said, well, we're not even sure if this is really a factor because there's a lot of other things at play. What did you guys find in that realm? Yeah, so what we did was was really try to build a story and build the weight of evidence for answering this question about what impacts pinnipeds could be having on salmon recovery. And, you know, we need to start with what we know with very high certainty and a couple observations there. First, the uh, passing of the Marine Mammal Protection Act in the 1970s has been spectacularly successful. Um, the number of harbor seals and California and stellar sea lions in the Salish Sea and on the outer coast has has really um, exploded in some respects. You know, it's gone up several fold during the last few um, decades, the last decade or so, it's uh, the numbers of these predators appears to be leveling off. Um, but the point is that there are more marine mammal predators out there now than there has been in most of the last century. And to, yeah, to further complicate that is the other thing we acknowledge and recognize is that uh, Indigenous people hunted these things. Um, and it's very possible that we're seeing abundances of pinnipeds now that may actually be higher than they were 100 or 200 years ago because um, they may have been hunted more heavily than they have, <clears throat> excuse me, have been this, uh, this last century. So that's part of the story that you can't discredit. There are more predators out there now than there have been in, in mm -hmm. decades. Mm -hmm. um, the second piece of the story, which again has very little uncertainty associated with it, is these animals eat salmon. Um, whether it's a harbor seal or a sea lion, um, we know that they uh, eat salmon throughout their life cycle. Harbor seals, for instance, eat young salmon as they leave the estuaries as smolts. Um, seals and sea lions eat uh, salmon as they come back to spawn. 
particularly in river mouths and at pinch points in the Salish Sea that they migrate through and where they're particularly vulnerable, as well as out there in the in the broader parts of the Salish Sea. So we know that salmon are victims from some pinnipeds. Um, you put those two things together, and what we also know with a lot of certainty is that the number of salmon eaten by these pinnipeds has increased dramatically over the last 40 years, and it's a really big number. Um, so the fact that it's a big number is something we can stand behind. Where we start to get on thin ice is to translate that number in terms of how many fish are eaten into an assessment of what the impact is on the salmon population. Um, and that's because of the complexities of the ecosystem that salmon and pinnipeds are part of. Um, so that's where we started yeah, skating on thinner yeah. ice in terms of our ability to make definitive conclusions about pinnipeds, pinnipeds preventing recovery of salmon. Is it kind of, maybe this is boiling it down too far, but is it a correlation versus causation question? It's definitely a correlation versus causation question because we know that as pinnipeds have built up, salmon recoveries have have stayed flat or in some cases even declined for certain stocks and certain species. Um, the, the tricky part are dealing with the complexities of this salmon pinniped ecosystem because pinnipeds are not the only predator eating salmon. And pinnipeds also eat other predators of salmon. So then you start asking questions about, well, what if the pinnipeds weren't here? Would that mean that there would be more other predators of, of salmon? Um, and that's where it's really difficult based on, or it's, I would argue it's impossible based on existing data to come up with a definitive conclusion that pinnipeds are the primary reason that uh, salmon stocks are not recovered. And again, we're talking with Professor Daniel Schindler with the University of Washington. He uh, was chair of this study effort by the Washington State Academy of Sciences on pinniped predation, or uh, in, I guess, more layman's terms, um, harbor seals and sea lions, and how many salmon do they eat, and how what effect does that have on the recovery of particularly the endangered species of salmon that we're working so hard, you know, across our, our communities in our society here, at least in this region, to recover. Um, so where do you take it from there? I, I recognize that it's tough to, re like you said, with existing data anyway, and I'm sure there's a huge need for more information on this complex system. But even with the data that you have, you guys drew some conclusions about some of the impacts that are actually occurring here and possibly some things that could be done. Yeah, so again, we, if we stick to things that we can say with confidence, um, you know, any effect of pinnipeds are probably amplified or expressed at, at high levels in, in these pinch points where uh, salmon have to migrate through this gauntlet of predators. Those are the most likely places that these types of effects are playing out. Doesn't mean they're the only places. Um, but I, I guess one of our other important conclusions is that, um, you know, it'd be very easy to study this question to death yeah. um, by, by getting more behavioral observations of seals and sea lions, by studying more detailed, um, having more detailed analyses of their diets, um, 
et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot we could do from science, but it's not clear that those types of studies would get us to the answer we're looking for, or at least allow us to answer the question we're trying to, to answer here. Um, and what that's really probably going to take is to manipulate in an adaptive management framework um, the abundances of pinnipeds. Mm. And that is something that <clears throat> is a very tricky thing to do. Um, there are people who, of course, are very concerned about the welfare of pinnipeds. There are others who are concerned about the welfare and the, and the uh, abundance of salmon. Yep. Um, policymakers are going to have to navigate those conflicts and trade-offs. But really one of our key conclusions was that if we are serious about figuring out how important pinnipeds are to preventing salmon recovery, we probably are going to have to alter the abundance of pinnipeds. Mm. Some of this is going on in the Columbia River already, where problem individuals are being removed from places, particularly below some of the dams, where um, we know things like sea lions are really <laughs> taking out a yeah. lot of uh, migrating salmon. So I understand like the, those efforts have seen a little bit of initial success. Of course, it remains to be seen what the long-term impact is, but I've heard yeah, some positive key. things. That's key. I mean, um, some indications are that it's working, but it is going to take some sustained management effort to really demonstrate conclusively that experiments or management approaches such as that actually work. So we have to be in this for the long haul. We have to be willing to step up and take some risks if we really want to figure this this problem out. What would that look and, like, you know, re reducing or managing the population of these pinnipeds? I, I think the, the interesting thing, just to step back to the 30,000-foot view you know with the marine mammal predation act or protection act i should say um, in the 70s it put basically an entire ban on doing anything as far as harvest of those animals or, or anything else you know if if some that already you know to me says okay there could be a lack of balance there when other things you know, of arguably similar importance or, you know, in different parts of the food chain or the, you know, predator uh, chain, whatever the term for it might be, you know, all, all of a sudden they own this special, very protected spot where other things may not. That's how you could see potentially things getting out of whack. Could, you know, a, a return of, of um, native, you know, uh, aboriginal type harvests be part of this or or is there something where more technology is involved or even a commercial role for for addressing some of the what does that actually look like to manage this population yeah so our report didn't get too deep into those types of details um, those details would have to be worked out um, they should include both scientific analyses and perspectives about, for instance, how many animals would have to be removed, or if other technologies were used, how, you know, in some cases there are approaches that try to scare animals away or distract them from places where they eat a lot of salmon. Some of those yeah. might work. Um, so there is a bunch of options that for things that could be done. Um, our report didn't get too deep into trying to figure out what those specific options may actually look like in a practical sense. Um, and that's something that would have to be taken seriously before, you know, managers start, start doing things. 
it should be informed by science and it should be informed by stakeholder yeah. uh, perspectives and, and concerns. Um, but there's distinct risks in doing nothing. Um, mm. You know, salmon are not showing any signs of recovery. As you pointed out at the beginning of the show, they are suffering from a whole bunch of different reasons, from climate change to uh, degraded habitat to predation by things like seals and, and sea lions. So it's it's a multifaceted problem. It's not going to be easy to, to deal with, but the reality is we have to do the science and the management at the right scales to figure this one out. I, I think something that you're saying there is somewhat echoing things that we've been talking about here in the Nooksack Basin and, and some of the other water management things, uh, habitat work, a lot of other things that need to be done here um, that you mentioned earlier, you know, this could be studied to death, but that shouldn't be done. Um, I would think there's a time element to that too. We don't have time to study this to death the endangered critically endangered in some cases salmon runs need help now uh, before years and decades of studies uh, can play out absolutely i mean the one reality is salmon and luckily for us are very resilient species and they're on the ropes but they're only still around because they can handle a lot of pressure from humans um so we do have some time but you're right, we can't wait around forever and pretend this problem will go away on its own. Um, we really need to start thinking carefully about how to coordinate both the science and the management yeah. on issues like rehabilitating habitat, like possibly managing predators, like how we um, use hatcheries to supplement. Um, all of those things need yeah. to be coordinated. They need to be thought of at the right spatial scales, yeah. both for local stocks, but also in the broader context of the ecosystem. And we have to do it for the long term. We can't play around with one year here doing strategy X and another year doing strategy Y. Um, we need to be in it for the long term. And that's how increasingly the farming community feels too. And and more and more people are saying, let's look at all of the above. Let's not just seize on one thing or the other. This needs to be multifaceted. We need to be pursuing all potential options. We need to hurry it up and get things going because we don't have unlimited time. And I appreciate what you're saying about risk management too. Is there a risk to doing something? Yes. Is there a risk to not doing something? Yes. So let's weigh those out and, and find the better, you know, the best course of action rather than simply dismissing things out of hand, which seems to happen all too often with, with discussions that end up being really too siloed on one issue or another. Yeah, I agree entirely. Um, we need to be explicit about expressing these risks, <clears throat> both scientifically and socially, and um, we need to, to grapple with how we're going to navigate through those various risks because there isn't a single factor that's the problem here. And just a couple of seconds remaining again, uh, Daniel Schindler, uh, a professor with the University of Washington's uh, School of Aquatic and Fishery Sciences. Uh, he's been researching things with salmon and other aquatic issues up and down uh, the West Coast and the Pacific Northwest for many, many years. Uh, very accomplished in that realm. And he chaired this study, Pinniped Predation of Salmonids in the Washington portions of the Salish Sea and Outer Coast at the request 
of WDFW for the Washington State Academy of Sciences. Uh, we appreciate your time. Um, real quick, just in, in a few seconds before we run, you know, what the, the, the things that you guys are saying in this study and, and the whole team of you that work together, the conclusions that you reached, particularly about potentially needing to manage and eliminate pinnipeds to some degree, you know, to, to harvest animals or whatever shape that might take. It's not always a popular opinion. How, how has the reaction been, just in a few words? Uh, to, to be perfectly honest, we haven't really had much reaction so far. Um, you know, we recognized when we wrote this report and, and published it that it may strike a chord in a positive way with some people and a distinctly negative chord with others. And, you know, our goal was not to try to satisfy anyone or to piss anyone off. Our <laughs> goal was to synthesize yeah. what we know, what does the science tell us, and it's really up to other people, namely managers and policymakers, to decide what to do with this. You know, that's not the not the job of the scientists. The job of the scientists is to really say, what do we know and how can we improve what we know? And that's where we ended it. And, yeah, as I said, it's not going to sit well with everyone. And uh, that's something we need to grapple with as a society and as a yeah. set of communities is how do we move forward with, with information like this? Yep, that's how science should be. It's not always comfortable. Uh, <laughs> and it's not designed to be. Professor Daniel Schindler, uh, the chair of this study and a professor at, at UW, thank you for being here this morning. Yeah, thanks for your interest, Dylan.